0: Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. This episode is sponsored by Rewe. Imagine if you could take a daily pulse of retail shoppers in every market in the world, hearing directly about the behaviors, views, and fears. What if you could hear from more than just your own consumers and shoppers, and from people who didn't participate in your focus groups or your research panels? ReWe collects real-time data on consumers in every market in the world. You need to understand how people's behaviors are changing in today's challenging environment. Visit RIWI.com dot Riwi, to book a demo. Why can't Netflix compete with traditional cinemas? Why will the Uber Eats model struggle to see long-term success? What kind of long-term effects will social media coordination have on the stock market, like we've seen with stocks like GameStop and AMC? On today's episode, we're thrilled to have back on the podcast, Vince Guzzo, CEO of Guzzo Cinemas.
1: By trivializing it, and by trying to say that watching a big-budget movie on a 42-inch TV is the same thing as a 50-foot movie screen with Dolby Sound, with this, with that, with 300 other people laughing with you at the same time or or getting scared with you at the same time. Hey, those are two different experiences.
0: You might also recognize Vince as one of the skilled investors on CBC's Dragon's Den. We get the chance to discuss his thoughts on the evolution of consumer behavior during and after COVID and how our new habits will impact the way we work, live, and invest now and in the future. Let's listen in. Vince, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing? Great, thank you for having me. Well, I should say welcome back. You and I talked in the before time pre-COVID, uh, so it was it's great to have you back on the microphone again, and and a lot has transpired between the last time we spoke and and today. So it's great to catch up. Uh, how are you? Are you are you well? It's it's a it's it's an interesting time for sure, right?
1: So you know, uh, health wise, I'm very well in the sense that I've actually shed a few pounds and. Uh, you know even though we've been confined at home or at the office i have not uh, overeaten uh and i've not under exercised the um,
0: covid 15 as they've been calling it right
1: that's right that's right but uh on a mental side i'm also uh, uh, very well I'm, I'm you know i'm actually um surprising myself in the sense that i've you know i had forgotten those really really stressful times uh, that entrepreneurs go through at the beginning of their business and so forth um so, you know, sometimes you ask yourself, could I do it again? Right. Could I go through that yeah. crazy period and seem to be, uh seem to be doing fine. In fact, I, in fact, I have a lot of friends calling me up and say, I can't even believe you haven't like flipped your, you know,
0: your yeah. whatever, your, you know, whatever your or whatever. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, uh, and so, you know, I, I think I'm doing fine there on an economic basis. I mean, you know, nobody likes the bleed that we're having, but yep. it is what it is. I mean, it is a bleed where we're managing to build equity on it. We're, you know, we've got tons of projects, uh, uh, I would say 90% completed. So I think when we do get out of this craziness, um, yeah. you'll see, um, you know, Cinema Gutso or, or, or Vince Gutso in many other things that people didn't realize mm. that uh, we could be doing or that we could be in.
0: It, uh, I, I was, uh, interviewing a Bain consultant, um, and he talked about this as a six month mulligan. In other words, it's it's an inflicted or enforced time where you get to reflect on: Am I doing all the right things? And you know, you get out of the op- meat potato of operations and you get back into visioning. Right?
1: You're right. I mean, one of the things that you know, one of the things it's allowed us to do is look back at some of the supply chain, hmm. uh, renegotiate some of those deals. I mean, you know, uh, uh, yeah. every year you get these increases, you know, based on inflation and whatever. Whatever. But you don't. Sometimes you just say to yourself, okay, it doesn't matter, right? And you don't yeah. really. You're not as uh, as uh, lean as you want to be. So now we're we're going to come out of this a lot leaner. Yeah. Um, you know we're going to have more fat on the balance sheet, but we're going to be a lot leaner in operations. So we think we can tread, you know, trim that fat very quickly uh, uh, once we're out of this craziness. And given the, I would say, the importance that retail food uh, mm. will take in yeah, uh, yeah. 2021 and 2020, I think we'll be able to. Uh, almost double our um, our annual revenue uh, as a, as a consolidated group.
0: I've got to expect, and 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 I wanted to ask you. I'd imagine post COVID, post vaccine. You know, we had actually in Quebec, you had a bit of good news this week. We're recording here uh, early February with the you know lock, the lockdowns easing up a bit, but. Um, I got to think there's going to be a, an, an equal response the other direction. I mean, it's been all goods and grocery and buying stuff for the house, but I, I think people are just going to be jonesing for for all the experiences that you offer. So it, it, it sounds like you're getting ready for that as well. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, um, I would tell you the best comparison I can give you is right after, uh, the you know, the Great Wars, you know, where you yeah. had a big boom. The
0: um, so 20s all over again. That's right. The 20s all over again. That's yeah. right.
1: I think, you know, people are going to, and in fact, you know, I guess the best example I can give you is the following. And I, and I say this to all of my, you know, my financial partners and and, and to the media all over the places. You know, everybody's really worried about movie theaters because they're saying, you know, movies are now streaming, you know, and they're on platforms all over the place. I said, well, guys, let's remember that the U.S. makes 400 movies a year. We only show about 80. And out of the 80 of 2020, we've only lost four. Right? We lost Trolls 2, Mulan, Soul and Wonder Woman. What's interesting
0: is if the studio but that James the movie, Bond movie got delayed too, right? That yeah, one. Well,
1: got, they got delayed, it, right? So for me, a delay is not a lost movie. It's just we're pushing it, you know, forward. But and and we're used to that in the movie business because you gotta you've got to know that we have a different schedule than what people see, and mm-hmm. sometimes we'll factor in Bond or or a Bond like movie at this date, and then we get told, look, post production is not done, so it's getting delayed. Uh But what's interesting is if studios have realized that with almost hundred percent lockdown in some markets that they can't make uh, uh, they can't cover their expenses of the making of the movie y- you've got to you know realize that then they're saying to themselves okay so the only way to make money you know with movies is really to keep on going to movie theaters you know using their pipeline to promote our movie because a lot of people need to know that why is for example a Netflix pushing so hard for their movies to go into the theater, call it platform, and then be on their streaming platform, and that's because it has been shown. Uh, you know, data supports that if a if a if a movie is shown in a theater and it has a theatrical release, you will have five to six times more eyeballs wanting to watch that movie hmm. on a platform.
0: Well, you know, you know, the last time you and I were speaking, it was the the controversy was the Irishman actually now that it right it and and you would you'd I think you'd seen it, and I, of course I've seen the movie too and it's it's epic, but you know I don't know it's, it's all right in my generation, I think I love the movie, just the actors, but you know so now we're fast forward just picking up on that, I was listening to uh, what you're talking about. I was listening to this interview with Jason Kalar from Warner Media, and he's talked about what he did with uh, Wonder Woman, which he called the uh, what is it windowing right so that the the theaters get an exclusive preview now in my understanding of of your business. Uh, which is pretty much on the surface of the business um it's really been a symbiotic relationship between you and the as you've been explaining you and the and the and the people who produce movies you produce movies we promote them we both make money everybody wins he seems to be breaking that did, did as covid broken the relationship between the the studios the theaters and the customer what do you when you think about that
1: you know i would tell you the best comparison i can give you is As a father, right? You know, look, I have five kids, four boys and my youngest is my daughter. Mm -hmm. So I have four kids, right? Uh, Five kids, sorry. And, and you know, as they're growing up, you want to make sure they don't make mistakes. So as exhibitors, we've tried to tell Warner Brothers and all of the studios, guys, you're going to, you're going to screw up the whole business plan that everybody has. You got to remember, it's five years. This is almost a 10 year fight now, but it's five years that the fight has really intensified. And, and
0: COVID, COVID's gotta amplify it, right? I mean nobody's well, sitting in your in your well, seats, right?
1: Well, what what COVID did is it weakened us to the point that they felt they could literally just ignore our opinions, right? But you have to remember that mm. COVID and the way the movie industry operates has in some cases has a lot in common. And I'll give you an example very quickly, like I said, is you know, today one of the biggest complaints we have with our governments is they're not being transparent, they're not giving us the data. We don't know how they're making decisions. Well, when the studios tried in the last five years and, and did test markets, you know, test runs with movies where they went, PBOD and theaters at the same time, they never shared the data. And I've always said to them, guys, you know that if you were right, you would be showing me the data. <laughs> That's
0: right. fair. That's <laughs> it's fair. That's fair.
1: Right. Yeah. And now the problem is that because of the media being on their back and saying, OK, you took Wonder Woman, you did this, you did that, yeah. what's the result? Now they're like, uh, oh, my God, like, how do we now justify
0: how do you walk it back? Right. That's I, right
1: because think, the truth you know. of the matter is Wonder Woman at sixty five million dollars is a flaw. Wonder Woman should have made a one hundred million opening weekend in theater.
0: Have so, you seen it? It's a, it's a good movie, right? I mean,
1: well, let's put it this way for you and I. It may be a good movie, but for my kids, you know, my oldest is twenty three. Uh, yes, it was twenty three mm-hmm. yesterday. And then, you know, my youngest is ten. They thought it was a little too vintagey feeling, you oh, know. It reminded me a lot of uh, of Superman with uh, you know with the Brando, with Marlon Brando, and whatever, or the,
0: or the original series, right? Which I watched on that's ABC right. TV. I remember it was one of the first series I watched in color TV. I mean, I, I think you and I are about the same vintage, that's so right. it, it resonates with me. But that, what you're saying is, is that the movie going public?
1: That's right, and that's where the whole idea is, right? Is that as much as we might believe that. The millenniums don't want to go to the theaters and they have their laptops and they have their phones. The truth of the matter is, I think they've had a lesson now in freedom of speech or freedom of behavior. Meaning what? Meaning, as long as they had the choice, they would choose. Now that you're forbidding them from going to the theaters, I can guarantee you that the first thing they're going to want to do is contest, you know, the established rule and say, I'm going to the theaters. I'm going to go do everything that you forbid me from doing in the last 10 months and now so can
0: you can you see a day though when when the studios say listen I, i'm not going to window though so let's let's let the customers choose i'm going to release it on what do you call hbo max some terrible brand name so, and the theaters at the same time right can you see that day or what uh, do you think
1: I'm, I'm gonna tell you i see a day where you're gonna have a 30 60 and 90 day window where you're gonna have floating prices, meaning a 30-day window movie will be worth this, and a 60-day oh, will be worth a little more, and a 90-day will be worth more because of the exclusivity part of it. But in other words... Right.
0: What they did what with they Mulan, right? Disney kind of did that with Mulan, right? A thirty-four ninety-five right. ticket to, to watch it online, and then eventually it just becomes part of the subscription, right?
1: That's right. And, and the whole idea is that what I think is going to happen is the movie going experience will become closer to the live concert experience, meaning hmm. why is it that You know, at the Staples Center, you would pay $200 US to watch Dylan Dion, but you'd only pay, let's say, $100 US to watch Billy Joel. Mm -hmm. One's not necessarily better or or worse than the other, is that one has more of a perceived commercial value for a greater amount of people, so you can charge more. That doesn't happen right now in the movie business, right? You have to remember that if I'm paying $12 for three and a half hours of, you know, Avengers Endgame but I'm also paying 12 bucks for an hour and 45 minutes of Woody Allen. There are people saying, I, I wouldn't pay 12 bucks for Woody Allen.
0: I right? pay six bucks. Is That's that what right. you're saying? Like I I'd pay, I'd pay less, but I'm not going to pay the same as, as you know, whatever. Right.
1: That's <laughs> right. And, and, and the key is that we have to find a model that works where customers will say to themselves, this may not have been the best movie of all times, but at the price I paid for it, I got my money's worth. Right, and that's where the movie business has been uh, uh, hurting itself, mm. exhibition business, is that we've taken direct-to-video movies, we'll call them, and gone through movie theaters to try and get those five or six times more eyeballs mm. on the platforms, and we've made people feel like, hey, this wasn't worth twelve bucks. I got, I got right. ripped off here, right?
0: But, but sometimes yeah. it's worth more, right? Sometimes that's you walk right. in, you go, "That was the best movie I ever seen. I would have paid twenty bucks for that." That that's variable right. price—it's a variable price model. It's very interesting.
1: That's yeah. right, and 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 the whole idea is also—you have to remember that the backlash that Warner Brothers got from creators, yeah, yeah, you know, and people yeah. who want to you, you look. Why is it that winning an Academy Award is such a big friggin' deal, right? It's because it's seen as the mecca of the awards, and it's the one that's the hardest to get now.
0: it and it, tra- and it translates born. into and it translates into. Vast commercial success, right? I mean, once you've got that badge, you've, you know, you're, you're going to, I don't know, pick a number, but you're going to double your revenue, right?
1: Right. I mean, look, it's like, you know, it's like anybody who achieves something exceptional, you know, like an order of Canada. What's he do? He walks around with his order of Canada pin all the time, right? Because he, even though he may have gotten it 10 years ago, it doesn't matter. He still wants to, and it's the same thing with an Academy Award. It is a, you know, a stamp of certification that, Hey, you made it to the top of your industry now. By trivializing it and by trying to say that watching a big budget movie on a 42-inch TV is the same thing as a 50-foot movie screen with Dolby Sound, with this, with that, with 300 other people laughing with you at the same time or, or getting scared with you at the same time. Hey, those are two different experiences. You know, and, and the best example I can give you is when I asked a TV producer, and we'll put Jerry Brockheimer aside because he's probably the only guy who can do both. But I asked a very, very successful TV producer of French Canadian TV. And I said, you think you could make a movie and then, you know, like sort of do a a circular motion where you have a, you know, you have a season, then your season finale is a movie. And then you're you're opening up with the movie the next season, and you know, and, and sort of drive people from home to theaters, from theaters back to home to watch your show. And they tried it. Mm. And the problem is that it's two different ways of telling a story, right? I have 15 episodes of 45 minutes to tell you a story. I only have an hour and 45 minutes, two hours, two hours and a half to tell you the whole story.
0: It's a very different craft, right? It's a a different craft.
1: It's two different art forms. Yeah. Two different uh, 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 people seem to give more, more of a chance at storytelling in a movie theater than they do on TV.
0: It, it is what Scorsese tried to do, I think, in The Irishman. The Irishman is three different movies put together, right? It's like a series of three. I mean there's three demarcation points in it. Um let me let me sit back for a sec. I just want to, so for the audience that may not know, um last count I think you when we were talking you had ten theaters, but I think you opened uh Megaplex um uh, Sejan is that eleven now that no. you've got in the front?
1: No so what we did is is mm. uh In early 2019, we closed one of our very old uh, eight plexes and it started construction on our brand new 12 plex in St. Jean. Mm. That theater was supposed to open in the summer of 2020. Uh, The problem is that we, you know, because of the restrictions, we've had to slow down some of the construction progress. And then uh, out of sheer intelligence on on managing burn rates, we said, why do we want to? Finish one hundred percent of the finishings, the installation of equipment, and so forth. When we're sitting here not knowing, yeah, right? no so cash
0: flow, and who knows when the cash well, flow is going to come? Right,
1: that's right, that's right. So you know, we we have all of the you know the monies that we need to finish that theater, but we're, we're burning it slowly because we want to make sure that when that theater is ready to go, is when the movie business has come back in a big way. The last thing we need is to open that theater in, for example, Easter of this year. And then all of a sudden we're shut down again a few weeks later because of whatever reason uh, or,
0: or have nothing to play because the, the studios hadn't take hadn't yet released the big the big shows right I mean one or the other let me let me step back uh, this great discussion in, on the theater business thank you for that it's, it's such an interesting business it touches us all one one way or the other I, I, stepping back into your role as an entrepreneur as a, as a business person I'm trying to get a sense from ev- executives I talk to. As they step back and, and understand consumer behavior and the things that are going on in, in business and the economy, you're, you know, you've know you got construction, hospitality, and, and entertainment. What changes do you think are going to be uh, permanent versus like permanent structural changes to how you operate and how business works and how people behave? Kind of a broad question versus, you know, everybody's adjusting right now. I mean, you're, you know and you're in Quebec, so you can't go out past a certain time. These are weird days. They fortunately won't continue forever you know, one one of the things, for example, I've I've heard often is this work from home movement to pick one. In other words, that really didn't exist pre-COVID. But now pe- most people are saying, listen, I think, you know, only two thirds of people are going to go back. That seems to be a permanent change. Anything jump to your mind as a a permanent change, thanks to this 18 months or two years of the, the COVID era that, that you've been thinking about?
1: So I think what, I, uh, you know, I'm actually maybe going to go against the trend here, and and if you watch Dragons, then you'll know that. Uh, mm-hmm. Lane That's not unusual. That's yeah, not unusual I, for you. Uh, uh, Lane Merrifield and I disagreed about uh, uh, will will we ever wear suits again? Will we ever yeah. go back to the? You know, I mean, and and uh, uh, Jim uh, Tree Living and I basically off air said to. Uh, set the lane. Look, only because you're a tracksuit kind of guy, you know, don't don't pick on us because we dress better than you type of thing. Right. But it was yeah. in a I'm, I'm
0: on your side. By the way, I'm on your side for that. I, I do right. some work. I do some work with Harry Rosen. And and, you know, there will be a response. List, you know, people are going to get tired of wearing sweatpants at home. So uh, I, I, I do expect that to bounce back that's at all right. at all ages in one way, shape or another. But anyway, that's, that's so right. I agree. I so, agree with you there.
1: So, you know, one of the things that, that, that for example, has changed for me is is I was not a very big casual guy. So, so I still wear my suits. I'm at the office today and I'm wearing my shirt and, you know, I was never a Thai guy, so that's okay. But, uh, yeah. but now that I, when I dress casual, now I go even more casual, right? So, <laughs> so those are things that I think people will now, you know, keep, but when it comes to work, when it comes to the workplace, yeah. I'm telling you, you know, I don't care what people are saying. I can tell you that I'm, I'm you know heavily involved in the real estate business. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that, Office space is now in... Everybody's getting ready for the return back to work. And I'll tell you why. Because when when we first went on lockdown and started working from home, everybody wanted to make sure that we continued getting paid for working at home. So everybody put their effort in it. I think that as time passed by, and we all took it for granted, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I did some financing in the middle of COVID. The early financing took me month to do. The middle financing took me three months to do. The end of COVID is taking me a lifetime. Why? Because now people have gotten comfortable at home and now everything is being delayed, right? Everything's sort of like, well, I got to get this from the cloud and and then I got my back office who's got to do this. But now my back office could be very well, I mean, you could be logged onto your computer and be cooking. Which means you're working, but you're not working. And so you
0: think the pro- do you think the productivity is as is, is eroded basically from the from the first days?
1: Of course, because what's happening is your focus, right? So look at it as a sports team. Why does a sports team not allow its athletes to just train by themselves and then just show up for game one? It's because mm-hmm. we need to make sure that you're motivated, that that you're part of the team, that that everybody's working in sync to accomplish a goal. The best way to do that is not to have Zoom after Zoom after Zoom after Zoom. It is about interchanging, it's about the human connection. The other problem is that whether we like it or not, somebody walking into an office, having access to your boss or having access to your you know, assistance is way more efficient than let me try and call somebody and they're not answering.
0: Yeah, so, it, ma- it matters, right? I mean, be- being yeah, I there thought. matters. You got to show, you know, showing up. It's not just about a bum in a seat for eight hours a day, right? It, it is the, the dynamic right. in the office. It, you're right. I mean, the smart money is definitely going, you know, you, you hear some dot-com firms saying, well, never be in the office. I, never, I don't believe that. Uh, and you see the big, you know, the big Facebooks, they're buying, you know, Hudson's Yard, they're buying real estate, like it's going out of the right. and,
1: and we have to remember that the dot-coms were... Off the bat, we're not conventional go to the office. I mean, you know, I've been in some of the dot com offices and they look like uh, like playgrounds, right? Where there's all kinds of crazy. But
0: It's it's an amusement park with a few a few desktops, right?
1: That's right. But the other thing that you have to remember is those people that work in those dot com spaces like that, that are configured that way are normally a certain age where there's no spouse involved and there's no kids involved. Because mm. Now your dynamic changes totally when you got to be home five, or for five, six, seven o'clock to help your spouse with the kids, help for dinner and whatever. So all of a sudden you can't show up late at 11 o'clock at work and work till two in the morning because you got somebody at home who's expecting you to interchange with them. Right. So there's things I always like to say that there's uh, there's a way of working for every age group. And if you want to take the way you work in your twenties and thirties and apply it to your fifties and sixties, it's called, you will get divorced. <laughs> <It's crazy. laughs>
0: but, but Okay. But, but at the same time, uh, you know, people are telling me I'm experiencing a little bit. I've, I've been at home office anyway, the l- past couple of years, you know, I, I, I don't miss the commute. I am spending more time with my family and it's better even though, you know, I'm not doing what you described, which is head in 11 work till midnight, but, um, generically so so there is some positives to uh, certain days could you see certain days like two three days out of five or something how is, how are you thinking about that that hybrid approach I've heard that from a lot of executives
1: look I, I tell you I don't know why I tried that hybrid approach with one of my mm-hmm. in-house attorneys mm-hmm. and somehow it always happens that when I'm really in need of her <laughs> she's at home yeah. And I, when I don't need her, she's always in front of me, right? So, so it's very annoying to me. But yeah. the other yeah. problem that we have to remember is the biggest mistake. I always say this to, to bankers all the time. It says the biggest mistake we make as people from the financial space is we think everybody has homes like we do. We hmm. forget. Yeah. Yeah. I, have yeah. a, I have a bank rep of mine who lived till not too long ago in a 750 square foot apartment with her. Banking husband. And so every time she, her and I would talk, I would always hear the wind and I'd go like, where are you? And she would say to me, I'm on the balcony. But why?
0: She's, it's private, private conversation. We, right. we can't, we can't be heard together.
1: Yeah. In, right. So now put the kids into that. You know, yeah. you said you have a, a home office. My home office is probably bigger than the, than the average Canadian home. But that's because I built it that way many, yeah. many years ago because I always work. I work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. no matter if I'm on holidays or not, my, you know, when I cross uh, borders all the time, it's always funny. Cause I always have an extra piece of luggage and they say, why the, yeah. and they open it up and they say, Holy cow, this is a whole office in here. Yeah. It's my office. It's moving with me, but
0: you're like, community- you're like Ted Rogers in that way. I worked for Ted Rogers at Rogers. And I, I remember him once we were in a meeting and he was, uh, it was a Friday, late Friday. And I was kind of on the periphery of the meeting, but he said, you know, we're not going to see each other this weekend. I'm going to miss you. And he was very genuine about it. He, he was yeah. a seven day a week. and. And he, he his, his funny quirk was he like, what do you mean you don't want to be here on Sunday? He, you yeah. he was he was an interesting cat. It, you sound like you know you run an office and and you have a lot of respect for family and and but you know there's things that you need need to get done. Listen, um, I can't have you on the mic uh, as a as an investor of uh, a entrepreneur without asking you a little bit about what what do you think about what's going on with this, you know this um. Arbitrage, whatever you want to call it, GameStop. I, I saw AMC Theaters kind of on the periphery of this. What do you think about what's going on? I don't know if you invest in the market or you invest in yourself, but do you have any thoughts on on what the heck is happening with this, this crowdsource driving up and down prices in the, in the market on these stocks?
1: You know, my my, my issue with the market is I, I invest in the market. I invest hmm. very conservatively. Um, um, you know, uh, through my friendships over the years with Jason Kenny and a lot of people in Alberta, I'm a big oil guy Mm since i have a lot of money in oil because i don't see oil only as the the produce that makes my car go or 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 that heats my home i see it also as it's part of foam it's part of you know pvc uh, products are made with petroleum extracts right so so i see the advantage of that my big problem has always been the tech space one of the one of the you know most heated discussions we have on dragons then off the set with michelle or with with Lane, is about the tech space uh, and how those companies are valued. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me that there are companies that have been there for 10, 15 years, haven't made a penny yet of profit, uh, profitability, and yet, you know, th- they're worth more than, for example, a, a Ford Motor Company, right? So I'm sitting there, yeah. I'm just not getting it. Uh, I think this generation has put way too much emphasis on, Members or you know or, or 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 eyeballs that they think they have as a subscription model, but I think a lot of people need to realize that when you buy an ad agency, you're only buying the past EBITDA, the, the past revenue, because all of those clients that you think you're buying, those clients have the right to get up and leave. Which means when you're valuating a Netflix or whatever other company that's similar based on the X amount of Followers they have, or repeat business they have. That repeat business can leave, and so my question's always been: If you can't make if you can't make money now with it, right after you've sort of paid your setup costs, and if you're still burning money after so many years, how are you ever gonna make a profit? So you know the Ubers of this world have pretty much killed the taxi business. But I can tell you that conventional taxi was a profitable business. Mm-hmm. Uber is not. And so yeah. how can a non-profitable business continue? And so will one day conventional taxi come back with all of the all of the perks that Uber has brought, which means the application, the tracking devices, and so forth and so forth. The ease That's of use, the
0: experience. I mean, I mean we we'd agree taxi drivers of the past you know before uber uber came to be adopted by consumers for a reason right um convenience. you know it was right Well, convenience experience all those things on demand there's a lot of there's a darker side of course to it like they don't make money and and it, i guess they cross over into one of your other businesses because i know I, I was listening to the uh, interview with the the ceo of uber and he said it's been 50 now with uber eats and and, of course, with the ride share, there's a lot less ride sharing. But what do you think of this, you know, as a hospitality owner? They would argue it's incremental business. This Uber Eats kind of is incremental business. The real cost isn't 30%. It's 17% without the courier. For that, you get a lot of value. Where, where, do, you, where do you sit on that, on that side around the Uber, you know, the, the DoorDash, the delivery services um, for restaurants and hospitality?
1: I, I think, uh, uh, to be honest, I think because it's COVID, We've all swallowed a pill and, and had and have had to do it. But the truth of the matter is that I don't think Uber Eats will be as as uh, as uh, uh, busy or as successful once restaurants reopen. Because the truth of the matter is, thirty percent is a huge cost. And what I'm saying is, look, it's very simple. What they've done is they took the model that in a in a regular restaurant, uh, your labor cost is thirty percent. So now we've eliminated your labor costs because You know, it's a delivery system. So we're going to take 30%. But the truth of the matter is, in my 30% labor cost, there are chefs, there's sous-chefs, there's busboys, there's all kinds of people. Now, what you've eliminated is my waiters and you've eliminated my busboys. My big salaries, right, which are the, the kitchen staff, they're still there. But now you've tagged on 30. That represents maybe 15. So now my labor cost is 45. So this is not a profitable business.
0: Uh, Even at the even if it's incremental, even if it's an incremental order, which which is what they would argue, said, listen, you wouldn't have this. You're on our platform, and people might not find you. It's a you know whether you agree or not. That's what I'm kind of trying to get at. Is there some of that business that's incremental, and therefore that 30 percent on the math can can make sense?
1: I I haven't seen the incremental. What I have seen is my regular customers, instead of getting up in a in a minus 20 temperature, will you know just order from Uber Eats.
0: Yeah, they want to support you. I think there's some genuineness amongst Canadians supporting. I know I do. Once a week, I order more than I used to actually, because I want to make sure the restaurants that I love are around post COVID, right? It's tough. Right. No,
1: no, I don't think, I don't think most of the customers doing that realize that, you know, it's sort of, I, I mean, I think they generally think they're helping us and they are, right? Let's be honest. Uh, because instead of having X of burn rate, now you only have Y of burn rate. But the fact of the matter is that if somebody tried to convince me that you can actually run a, a whole uh, restaurant business based on these these delivery systems. It's not going to happen. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Now, I have read that uh, hotels are using their you know, nobody's in a hotel these days. They're using their commercial kitchens to run these ghost kitchens and that they you know, the, they don't have seats. They don't have anything. They've got this brand that they create. On an Uber Eats platform or DoorDash or whatever, do you, see, do you see that? Like, if someone came and pitched you that concept, uh, you know, in your chair is a dragon. Would you would you pay attention to that?
1: So, as I said, if, if you're using it the same, I have a million dollar burn rate and doing this, I'm only going to have a five hundred thousand dollar burn rate. So you're you know you're, you're you're slowing the bleed. I, I would probably say, okay, makes sense. We should do this. But once it's all said and done, once we're out of this. You want that hotel staff to be busy taking care of your hotel staff. The other thing is you can get more for your buck by having customers in your, uh, as much as we can now in Quebec deliver wine and so forth. The truth of the matter is there's more drinking going on in a restaurant when you're physically there than when I have to deliver it at home, right? Because fact of the matter is alcohol is sold at least twice, if not three times the price of that it would cost you if you bought it in a liquor store. So, yeah. you know, but but there's a whole, like I said, there's a whole socializing experience that yes. justifies why you're willing to pay more.
0: Well, it's like a movie. It's like watching a movie in your basement versus watching it in one of your wonderful theaters, right? I mean, exactly. The, the, but
1: but these the only exactly, but the only difference here is that if watching the movie in your basement would be as expensive as going to the movies. You would then say, I might as well just go to the movies, right? And so that's where the problem is with Uber Eats is because of their 30% markup, we need to charge. In other words, I can't even discount my prices to try and make the delivery even more popular in these times. Because if I do that, then I'm eating more into my potential profit based on the 30%, right? So, so it's hurting me even more. And that's where the model doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't really work.
0: Let's uh, last question for you. Let's uh, let's talk about the den for a sec. And um, with the concept that, you know, post COVID kind of one of the things we've been talking about today, things are going to change. What, what kind of things do you expect or would expect to be pitched in what is it now? Season 16. Yep. You know, what, what, what would you look for? What are the trends that you think are going to be big? We've talked about a bunch of them in your world. Is there anything that you're thinking of that you're saying, you know, I bet I bet I'm going to see two or three of these ideas pitched to me. Next season, what? Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think we're going to get all kinds of uh, touchless technology, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, (laughs) coming forward because you know people. Alexa
0: furniture, more Alexa furniture ideas, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, let's hope not, because that was, that was that was not a pleasant one to sit through. I mean, you got to remember, right? Our pitches are way longer than what you see on TV. Oh, and I know, sometimes I know. you sit there and you rub your your face and you say, oh, did, my God, let's get out of here. Did what?
0: I tell you I was involved in uh, with the producers of uh, CBC Dragons when I was at the Shopping Channel? Uh, we had a partnership for a couple of years where we would try to find new vendors in the same room as you would try to find or Dragon Stand would try to find... Uh, people to pitch because it, it's very similar, right? So, so I have a little bit more knowledge behind the scenes than the average person. So, yeah. <laughs> know.
1: You know, and, and so, I so I expect a lot of the t- the touchless technology. I still yeah. think there's going to be way too many pitches about living at home and everything is in your mm-hmm. bubble at home because I think mm-hmm. sometimes some of the entrepreneurs are, are like on reaction mode and, and are not necessarily on innovation mode. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm hoping I'm hoping to see a little more experience out of home stuff, yeah. right? I want to see new ways of, you know, you know and, and I'll give you an example. Wearing a mask in a plane seems to be like it's 2020, 2021. It's the thing to do, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that I used to wear a mask in a plane. when I would say about two months after I did a season, my season one, which was season 13 of Dragon's Den, I started wearing a mask in a plane. yeah. And, and a lot of people said, but, Why are you wearing the mask? And I said, well, because I had a kid one day. I was sleeping in the plane. I had a kid take a picture of me. (laughs) And it was basically me sleeping, but my mouth was open. So I looked funny. So I said, you know, if I put a mask on, it doesn't matter. (laughs) And so I made these masks that said, uh, you know, hashtag listen to me. And and so... So it looked like I was being innovative. So will I be wearing masks past twenty twenty one? Yeah, because for other reasons, though, had nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with. So there's ideas <laughs> that, that that have cre- that have been created during COVID yeah. that will be adapted for the future. But while keeping all that in mind, I still believe that for anybody who thinks that their idea is minded be is sort of a result of or. Uh, a thought process about we will never shake hands again. Those people, I tell you now, you are totally, unequivocally delusional. People, <laughs> you know, what has made humanity so resilient is, yeah. is its ability to repress moments like this. You, you do realize that in five years from now, this will only but be a memory, right? And we'll all be shaking hands and we'll all be, and we'll forget. We'll all be going back to food buffets and Sharing stuff that we shouldn't be sharing
0: now listen this, this is the second time you and I've been through something like this right in 911 everybody said nobody yeah. would fly for business again right That's right after after 911 Well listen Vince this has been uh, such a fun conversation very insightful and, and uh, great advice for any of those prospects out there that are uh, thinking about uh, putting their laying down the gauntlet and in, uh, in front of the Dragons den uh, the folks at the Dragon's Den I miss you uh, I, I wish you much continued success and uh, and thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to speak with me today on the Voice of retail. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Voice of Retail. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the latest episodes, industry news and insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review as it really helps us grow so that we continue to get amazing guests onto the show. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of M.E. LeBlanc Company, Inc. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn. Visit my website at meleblanc.co. Until next time, stay safe